Good morning. My name is uh, AJ Johns, and I'm one of the pastor's elders here at Maranatha. Happy Father's Day to you. I hope it's a good one. I think I was just reflecting um, with Mike here earlier. Um, we all have fathers, all of us. Everybody has a father. Um, and that's good and difficult sometimes, but we can all relate to that. So happy Father's Day to you. I hope you can celebrate your father, and fathers are celebrated this morning. Um, we are going to continue. We're in the book of Titus, if this is your first time here, uh, or you've been gone for a couple weeks. Um, Jeff gave an excellent sermon last week about kind of the context of the book of Titus. And so if you're new to the book of Titus or interested in that, I would encourage you to check that out. We're going to continue on this morning in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in verses 5 through 10 this morning. Uh, Bible's in front of you if you don't have one. Uh, before we do that, I have a uh, little fable that I'm going to read to us. Uh, it's actually an Aesop fable. Um, and I think it's a helpful way for us, I'm encouraging you to think through this, and I think it's a helpful way to approach our text this morning. So, it's, it's short, I'll read it quick. A sacred image was being carried to the temple. It was mounted on a donkey, adorned with garlands and gorgeous trappings. And a grand procession of priests and pages followed it through the streets. And as the donkey walked along, the people bowed their heads reverently or fell on their knees and the donkey thought the honor was being paid to himself. With his head full of this foolish idea, he became so puffed up with pride and vanity that he halted and started to bray loudly. But in the midst of his song, his driver guessed what the donkey had gotten into his head, and he began to beat him unmercifully with a stick. Go along with you, you stupid donkey, he cried. The honor is not meant for you, but for the image you are carrying so if you're familiar with Aesop fables, there's a little moral at the end of the story. It says, do not try to take the credit to yourself that is due to others. And so my hope this morning, it doesn't, uh, it's not exactly to deal with our text, but my hope this morning as we look into the text, that we remember that like this donkey, we are, we are created. We're creatures, okay? And like this donkey is kind of a contrast. We see this lowly animal contrasted with this sacred thing that he's upholding, we too are creatures created in the image of God. So we, there's that contrast with us too, right? We are just creatures, but we behold and we image God. And so with that, there's a temptation this morning to make this text about yourself or to think, well, what about me? What about me? How does this relate to me? And I would encourage you to try to resist that temptation, resist being the donkey in that story and thinking about how can I glorify God? How can I image God how can I do what I was supposed to do to image God? And I think as we saw last week that God never lies and has provided us promises. There's a promise with that this morning. There's a promise when you let go of yourself and you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. So that's a promise this morning. So encouragement, and sometimes it feels like death to like release yourself, but the encouragement is to think, how can I glorify God? What is this image, because we're going to talk about the church this morning, and just like us, the church is called to image something, okay? And we're called to do that, and it's about God. It's not about us. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. God, thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you're faithful in everything. You're faithful in every detail. I pray that this body would see this morning that you're faithful in every detail. Every detail has been ordered, Lord, and you are good. You're a good orderer, and I pray that we would trust that this morning, 
remembering that we have been made um, alive in Christ, that we are at peace with you. And because of that, we can receive this message with hope and encouragement and uh, trust that you are doing a good work and that we can trust your ordering. Lord, I ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, if you're able. So again, we're in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. All right, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so I have three points for us this morning. Um, the first point is that order... We see, we see Titus is charged with putting the church into order, and order requires oversight, okay? Putting things into order requires stewardship, and that's kind of a general principle that we see in the Bible and in just everyday life. We see that this principle is true, and I really want to highlight that this morning uh, because it's not a tangential, I don't think it's a tangential point to the, the gospel. I, I think... We could be tempted to think, well, what does order have to do with Jesus? What does order have to do with the gospel? But I think it does have a lot to do with it. And so I'd encourage you to see that that point is not tangential um, this morning. Second point is that the oversight um, required in the church is to be administered by pastors and or elders. And that this role is to be fulfilled, is to be fulfilled by qualified men. So we're going to talk about uh, the role of an elder um, what's its function, what's its purpose, and why we believe that the Scriptures teaches that it's to be fulfilled by qualified men. And then finally, last point is we're going to walk through these qualifications, and they can be summed up that this, um, that this elder or pastor should have both an ordered home and ordered loves. That he should have both an ordered home and ordered loves. And I want to encourage you this morning as we look through um, these qualifications, we'll walk through some virtues and some vices here um, of these men, uh, encourage you to think that, um, to resist the temptation to think this isn't about you, right? I don't, maybe I don't want to be a pastor, I don't want to do this, so this text doesn't really apply to me. This is actually not, I would encourage you to see this as a standard of godliness, so this is for all of us. As we've talked about last week, how Jeff uh, communicated this really well, this book is about uh, right doctrine that correlates to right living for all of us. So this is a standard of godliness that we're all to behold, uh, and we're all to uh, strive after, not just pastors. And I also want to encourage us with uh, verse, uh, it's in chapter 2, verse 11, um, that this is all founded for the grace of God has appeared. Okay, so all of the order we're going to talk about this morning, the church is founded on that reality, that the grace of God has appeared. And because of that, things can be put in order. Because of that, there is change, right? And we're going to talk about what that change looks like. All right. So first point, 
We look in verse 5 here this morning. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Right? And so order that we see in this text is mainly or uh, has most to do with right doctrine, right? Um, organized doctrine that, has, that correlates to right living. So when the text talks about order, that's primarily what it's talking about and what the church is to reflect. And I want you to think, when you think about it, I want you to think about an ordered home, right? I want you to think about an ordered office or an ordered garage or an ordered car in contrast to um, disorder, right? So that's in contrast to something that's disordered, messy, cluttered, right? When we think of order, when we see order, we, we see direction, we see, um, we see direction, we see purpose, we see vision, right? And it usually has fruit. It usually, um, there's fruit in construction of something, right? Whereas with disorder, we see kind of chaos. We see it, um, we see entropy. We see things going poorly or dysfunctional, okay? And so that's what's being contrasted this morning. And this order requires stewardship. It requires oversight. We see that in verse 7, um, for an overseer as God's steward, right? So Titus is charged with appointing elders who are also described as overseers, as stewards. And so good order, this right doctrine and right living, needs to have um, stewardship, somebody over it. And we see this principle all over the place, right? We see this in businesses. We see this in teams, right? We see this in gardens. We, we see that order is necessary for there to be fruit. And I think maybe a pushback on that could be, well, no, I like things to be more organic, right? I like to be, I think things to be more not structured or organic. And I would push back a little bit on that and that even that requires leadership. It requires stewardship. It requires someone to foster that organicness, right? And so I think what is natural sometimes is people push back on leadership or oversight because it's been done poorly, right? Because it's been done wrong or that oversight has been abusive. So they push back on it and they don't want that. But that doesn't change the principle that's true. That good order requires oversight. There's that great scene um, and remember the Titans, if you're familiar with that, that movie, where there's two linebackers, Julius and Jerry, uh, and Jerry, and they're arguing about, Jerry's the captain, he's arguing with Julius, why, like, he's not performing very well. And he says, what's wrong with your attitude? What's going on? And he says, and he, and he talks about how the team isn't, uh, isn't helping his quarterback, they're not doing things right, and he said, I'm just going to be after mine, I'm going to do it my way. And Jerry looks at him and says, that's a terrible attitude. And uh, Julius looks back at him and says, attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Right? And there's that dagger of a scene that order um, affects, right? That leadership and oversight affects the order of things. It affects the carry out of things. Um, And I want to highlight this point this morning. So this is true in this text, and it's also true in the narrative of the gospel. It's the narrative of the story that... We serve an ordered God, right? So our God is a God of order and purpose. You are, were created by an ordered and purposed God. You are not just the product of time and chance, right? You're not the product of that. Um, order doesn't come from chaos, right? That's, that's not how it works. And our God orders creation, and he governed it in creation. We see that in the way that he created things, right? He um, div- divided things between types and kinds, and we see that he put a structure into the way that he created um, 
creation, and we see that he put man to oversee it. Like, we were all called to um, image God's governing in that. That we were all called to be image bearers and stewards of God's creation. That's what we were created for. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see God doing that with, with Israel in his statutes and his ordinances. We see him governing Israel, and we see Jesus... Um, instituting governance with his disciples and then commanding them to go and fulfill the great commission. And so what I want you to think about this morning as we go to this text is that order is something that you were created for. You were created to be orderers, to be stewards, right, of what God has given you. That's something that you are called to, right? And we can all reflect that, well, why is there disorder? There's so much disorder in our world and um, it's because, right, the gospel narrative is that because of the fall of man, because we have sinned against God, that's actually what, where the disorder uh, is derived from. That's where it comes from. And we see uh, throughout the Bible that this order uh, always fails, right? We see it failing until Jesus comes, right? Because of the gospel, again, harking back to uh, verse 11 in chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared because of that, We have the power now to live out that fulfillment to be good stewards. Like, we can do that now because of the gospel. That's part of the fruits of the gospel. Um, So I want you to think about as we go through the next points. So second point is that the order in the church is to be administered by elders, elder pastors, and it is to be fulfilled, this role is to be filled by qualified men. Okay, we see that in verse, continuing in verse 5, right? So Titus was charged to put the church into order, and he did that by appointing elders in the second half of verse 5 there in every town as I directed you. Now, the word elder means, like, it, it referring to older or senior of, or mature, right? So that's what this word means, and we see that this word is used predominantly throughout the New Testament to refer to church leadership. So in, when talking about church leadership and talking about the authority structure of churches and how they're best ordered, elder, overseer are used synonymously, um, and that's where we get that from. That's why we have this role in our church. Um, we here at Maranatha, elder and uh, shepherd or pastor, we use synonymously, right? And the, and the reason is for that is that we want to make sure that the function Uh, aligns with how we see it in the scriptures. We think that the function and the role of a pastor is outlined in scriptures. So that would be in contrast to um, like a board of directors, right? So we see elder, you know, if you're familiar with the the Mormon community um, and the missionaries are all referred to them as themselves as elder. So all, all the elders, right? So we want to make sure and understand this morning that there's a specific, we believe there's a specific function and role for elders that's outlined in the scriptures. Okay, so that's in contrast to something of more of like an administrative role, right? And we see this role outlined pretty clearly in verse 9. I'll read that for you. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, okay? So if we remember the role of the church, we see in the book of Timothy that Paul says the church is supposed to be the household of God. It's supposed to uh, be the image, it should be the pillar and buttress of truth, right? So the church is supposed to demonstrate, it's supposed to be the witness 
and a demonstration of this grace that has appeared, right? The church is to witness and demonstrate the power of the gospel. And the, the pastor's or an elder's job is to ensure that that message is accurate and right because there's false messages, right? And it, they're supposed to make sure that that is correlating with right living in both themselves and the church, right? Because there is wrong living, right? And so when you think about it, their role is to equip the body for their maturity, right? For their growth. Think of a garden. Think of a shepherd, right? The job is for that role is to help the body, the garden, the sheep to become mature, that's the role. It's for the good of the body. So this, is, this position is not one of, um, it's, it's not to lift up the person, right? It's not a power trip. Um, it's not supposed to be heavy-handed. It's for the good of the people, and it's for um, the advance of the message, right? And so that's why the role is important, and that's what it's supposed to uh, fulfill. So why men? Why do we see? Why do we believe that the scriptures teach that? Because that is a uh, controversial statement in our society right now. And I want to encourage you with two points that I find very encouraging. Because I believe that the gospel and the Bible has better truth to us to offer than the world. Okay, so I encourage you this morning to hear this and be encouraged because our the word of God is better than what the world has to offer. It's much better. So I want to encourage you that in this morning. But we see that, um, we see well, one elder is referring to uh, a male, an older male. That is, that is what the, the word elder refers to. Uh, we also see that in the qualification of it being a husband of one wife. So we see that there as well. And I want to highlight two points to think through as we process that call. And that's first, that has nothing to do with value. It has to do with order. It has nothing to do with value. And where do we derive our value? We were created in the image of God. Male and female, images of God. There isn't a greater value than that. That is where we derive our dignity. That's where we derive our worth. And that comes from Christianity. That idea comes from Christianity. Okay? So that's, that's ours. That's our idea. That's, that's God. Um, and that's the goodness of God. So your value is that you were purposed by God. Okay? And so the fact that men are for this role has nothing to do with value, right? Our world's view of equality is different than this, right? Our view doesn't see equality in the same, our, our culture doesn't see equality in that same. They see it exactly the same in every element, right? So if somebody else has something that I don't have, that's not equal. That's not right, right? And, that, and it produces envy. We don't have to be that way. Right? We don't have to be envious of each other because we are purposed by God. That's where our value comes from. Okay? It has to do with order in the sense that we see this in the book of Timothy, that Paul hearkens um, authority to the order in which God created us. Right? So we see that in Genesis, that God created man first and then woman, and that there was purpose in this. It wasn't a mistake that that happened. There was purpose, and he was trying to display something to us, and that we need to trust the orderer, right? We need to trust that he is good and he knows what he's doing. And so he's demonstrating for us uh, an authority and submission that is good, right? Those things are good. We see Jesus demonstrate both authority and submission, right? We see his submission to the Father. We see his authority to the disciples. These are good things that we are all called to demonstrate an image, 
right? So I would encourage you this morning, right, if we harken back to that story, it's not about you. It's not about, like, don't, don't be that donkey that's like, well, what about this, like, why not me? It's, it's about this image. It's about this image that we're displaying, okay? And so that's, it's about order and not value. And the second point is it's about order and competency, not simply competency. So it's not simply about competency. We could easily read this text and think, well, I know a lot of females that are much better stewards than the men that I know. They, um, they represent or they image these qualifications so much better. What about that? And I would say amen to that. That should be the case because women are created to be stewards as well. This is not a contradictory thing to say. If, so uh, my wife, Elena, over here, so she is a much more natural gifted at organization than I am. She just is. If we, if we didn't have three kids and she was at home, um, she would most definitely have a better position or a job than I would. Absolutely. She's just better at that than I am. That's not what this text is saying. It's not simply about competency. Women are supposed to be good stewards. Like, we're all called to be good steward. And this is another controversial statement, but I would encourage you to think about it. We see in the chapter 2 where um, women are called to exercise. One area where they're trying to exercise this stewardship is in the home and with the children. And that is a controversial statement because our world hates the future. It's only concentrated on the self. It only thinks of the self, right? But we are not like that, Right? We want, we want God's glory to go through generation and generation. I want to encourage the, the women in this room that your role in raising those children has an impact on generations, generations. You have the pulse of generations uh, in your home, and that is glorious. It is not, and it's not to be envious of or judged, right? Again, so this has to do with order and not value and not simply competency, so moving on to, to point three as we move through this. Um, now, so what are the qualifications of these men? What are the qualifications of these pastors? They should have both ordered homes and ordered loves. So we see a description of a home, and we see the description of a self or passions. And in and, and the book of Timothy, Paul uh, describes this really well, and I think this is super helpful to us. And I want you to think about this. How could a man that cannot govern his home govern the church is kind of the idea there. And I've heard another person say, how can, how can a man govern a family? How can he steward a family? How can uh, parents steward a family when they have no governing over their own passions, over their own self, right? And so that's what we're called to here. And again, this is not primarily about giftedness, like natural giftedness. These qualifications aren't natural giftedness that we're talking about. We're talking about men who have been changed by the gospel, Right? Again, harking back to verse 11 in chapter 2, the grace of God has appeared. It means something. It changes us. It produces in us godliness. And that's what we see on display here. And men should be marked by that, right? That's how they should be marked. And again, I want to encourage you to think of this as a standard of godliness for all of us. So as we walk through these characteristics, it's an encouragement to strive after godliness for everybody here, right? Our elders, pastors should be great examples for us, but the call is on all of us. The call is to imitate that. If you're like, I don't know what godliness is, then imitate it. Be in a, look at examples and imitate it. That is what we are called to in this text. So let's walk through these qualifications. So verse 6, 
if anyone is above reproach, and we're going to see him say that twice, both when it, in terms of the home and in terms of the self. And the idea here is not a perfect man, right? Because that would be in contradiction to the gospel that we believe, right? He can't be a perfect guy. That would be in contradiction to the whole message that we're sinners saved by God, right? That would be a contradiction. These men need to be marked, though, by their order, orderliness, right? They need to be marked. We're going to see these qualifications, and they need to be marked by them, right? When, when the world or the outsider or the church sees them, they should, say, they should see a correlation to what they're saying and what they're living out, okay? If there's a marked disorder, then what's at stake is the message of grace, right? That's what's at stake. What's at stake is the message of grace. All right, so they need to be above reproach. The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Okay, so first... Um, husband of one wife. So we see here, again, a standard of godly sexuality, right? So God has designed sexuality. God has designed it to be between a man and a woman. That is ordered and right sexuality. And we see that in this verse, right? So anything outside of that, homosexuality, uh, adultery, anything outside of that pattern is a disorder and does not provide the fruit or the godliness and it does not defend the message of grace that we uh, are proclaiming and living, right? So then children, right? So we see children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So I think this is just a wonderful principle to think through that the children should be a representation when we, when we think of how well of a manager they are or an overseer, the children are the fruit of that, right? We will see that in their obedience, we will see that in their faith, what they think about God, um, how they respond to God, right? There is a, what we're seeing here is there's a direct correlation to that, and that's for all of us as parents. There's a direct correlation to your ability to oversee your family and the fruit of your family. There's a direct correlation to that. Now, there's, there's arguments um, in the church as far as uh, the word believers there, is that meaning that they are converted believers? That that's, the only, that's, that's a qualifier, that they have to be converted believers or just faithful and obedient? And I would say, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I would encourage you that, what's, like, that it should be in a part of the assessment, right? It's, it's part of the assessment. There's an obvious correlation there. So that should be um, thought of as you're thinking through whether this person is a good manager or not. So another question to think through would be, okay, well, what about um, men that don't have wives or don't have families, don't have children or have young children? So at our church, we have a bunch of men, we have four men that have young children. Um, and I would say in instances like that, that's not a disqualifier, but what that shows is we, have a, we don't have all the assessment that we can to judge their ability to manage, right? So it, I think the ideal the ideal person or, or picture here would be of an older man that has raised a family, and we can see that. We can look at his life. We see that his kids are obedient and faithful, love the gospel, um, and this proves that this, this man had an, was ordered. He had a good um, stewardship of his home. And again, this is gospel-driven. So moving on, um, so we should see an ordered home and ordered loves. So there should be self-government as well. We should see a man uh, that has his passions 
in order. Okay, we see that in verse 7 and verse 8. For an overseer as God's steward must be, again, above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So we get a picture here of right self-control versus someone that is not self-controlled. We get a picture of orderliness versus disorder, right? We get a list of virtues and vices here, which I wouldn't say are exhaustive, but demonstrate um, the principle of order and disorder uh, in our lives. And that we, our passions, should be under control and ordered. That's what godliness looks like. So let's walk through these um, qualifications uh, let's, let's walk through these vices and virtues. He must not be arrogant, right? And I think that would be an obvious thing for us to think, well, there's, there's some kind of disconnect with the gospel if there's arrogance, right? If the man is self-absorbed, then he's missed the gospel entirely, right? The gospel isn't about us, and we, we have nothing to be arrogant about. Right? It's by grace that we were saved, and that should produce in us humility. I love in Corinthians, Paul says, uh, what do you have that you haven't received? Everything you have, you've received. So there should be a level of, of thankfulness and humility in that. They should not be quick-tempered. So we see in that, obviously, a lack of self-control. Our God is slow to anger, right? Because he is in control. He's in control of himself. He that doesn't mean there's no anger. It means that he's not impulsive, right? Our God's not impulsive. We are not called to be impulsive because we have everything that we need in him. We don't have to be impulsive, right? Everything's not in, in, uh, on the line for us um, when we are confronted with conflict. So we don't have to be impulsive, right? We can be self-controlled because we know that God is in control. That doesn't mean we don't ever get angry, it means that we're not impulsive. They're not to be drunk, right? And so we see a restriction here to drunkenness, not to alcohol. It's not a restriction to alcohol uh, in all cases. It's a restriction to the abuse of it to the point where you are no longer in control, right? And that's what alcohol drugs do to us is they make us uncontrolled, right? Disordered. That's the fruit of it. And I think everybody could... Be, be a testament to that or witness to that. And so the call there is to be temperate um, in that. So not violent, right? So uh, in their leadership, they're not overbearing. Um, they're not, um, they don't use force to carry out their oversight, right? So that's, that's not how oversight is done because we trust that it's the Holy Spirit and God that moves in people. So we don't have to use physical force to enforce order or greedy for gain. And I think, um, so what is the motivation of these men? Why do they want to serve in this way? And if it's for self-gain, then this is not the person that you want leading your church. This is not the person you want managing because they're not for the church. They're not for the maturity of everybody else. They're only for themselves, right? And that is not an image of our God. That's not an image of Christ. That is not an image of someone that... um, uh, let go of everything, right? Let go of everything to serve us, right? So that's kind of the list of vices here. And then we see a list of virtues 
right? So as Christians, we're not just, um, we don't just hold back from evil. We're not, just, uh, we're not just called to restrain from evil, but to pursue good, to pursue love, right? Because our loves, what we love kind of drives our actions. So it's not just that we hate evil or stay away from it. We need to love good. We need to, to represent good things, true things, beautiful things. And that is what we see here. So, and, so um, hospitality is a quality that needs to be seen. Someone that welcomes others, right? The, the opposite of arrogance, right? He welcomes others because we have been welcomed, right? We do that in our peace offering. Because of God's peace, we have peace with one another, right? And that should be mark us with people, that we should welcome people because we have been welcomed. That's the basis of it. Again, a lover of good, so as opposed to just a hater of evil. And then we see self-control, upright and holy. And I read somewhere, I thought this was helpful, we kind of see, uh, see a focus on self-control and then what that looks like when it, in relation to others, so an uprightness or righteousness in our conduct with man. So the self-control is talking about our own passions, uprightness, talking about um, being unpartial or being righteous, and integrity in the way of our dealings with each other. And then holy would be in their devotion to God, that it's set apart, that they worship God and God alone, and that we see a holiness in their devotion. I thought that was a helpful way to look at it, because I think it's tempting to think that these are all synonymous terms. But I think that there's distinctions here that we can learn from. And then finally, it's summed up with um, disciplined. And it's, that's, it's also synonymous with self-controlled. So I don't know if he's summing it all up with discipline here or not, but that's in line with order, right? A consistency, a temperance uh, that should mark order. That's what it should look like. So that's kind of a list of uh, these qualifications and kind of my encouragement this morning um, is that's a standard for all of us, right? And we, because of the gospel of grace, we can strive after these things and grow in maturity. Like, that's what grace has done for us. That's the power of the gospel that you can change and you can um, have growth in these areas. And that's my encouragement for you this morning is to pursue that. You know, I was uh, talking to my son yesterday, um, and we were reading a story, and uh, the baby grabbed at his face, and he, instantly, he was very quick to get angry at, at this because she scratched him, right? And we had to talk about everybody has those desires, every one of us, right? Think about that. We are, all have disordered desires, right? And the call to us is to order them. Every one of us has it. The call is to order them, and you can because of the gospel. That is the message. That's the hope that we have. So let's pray, and then we'll move into communion. God, thank you that you're faithful in everything. Lord, we thank you that you have ordered everything rightly. God, I pray for this uh, congregation that they would receive this word and think about how best they can glorify and image you. We're thankful that you are a good God that uh, we can trust that never lies and that will be faithful in all things. We submit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.